0: you're listening to the conversations with kids peace podcast advice information and inspiration from experts at the leading provider of mental and behavioral health services for children adults and those who love them
1: now here's your host
0: hello and welcome to our podcast series conversations with kids peace i'm bob martin let me start with a small personal revelation I tried to be a Boy Scout as a kid, but as my Scoutmaster said one day, it just didn't take with me. The one thing I remember as a positive was reading the Scouting Manual's exhaustive section on first aid. As a kid growing up in suburban Indianapolis, it felt so exotic to learn about applying a tourniquet, what to do about sunstroke, or how to treat a venomous snake bite. We all know about the importance of learning first aid for physical injury or ailments, But is there a corresponding function for mental health or emotional crises? A national group says there is, and Kid's Pieces Rob Harvey is one of those the group has trained to train others in mental health first aid, and he joins us now. Rob, as always, great to talk with you. Nice to talk to you too, Bob. All right. Let's start at the beginning. How did this national program, Mental Health First Aid,
1: come to be, and, and, and how did you get involved in it? Okay, so mental health first aid actually started in Australia. Uh, There were two two founders, it was Betty Betty Kitchener and Anthony Jorm uh, in 2001, and they really looked at their community and said, we need people better prepared to deal with mental health issues that you know, it needs to be more than just professionals that are, that are ready to deal with it. So they, uh, they started putting together some material, and they created this course so that not just professionals, but that the general community is ready to respond to mental health crises the same as they would to a, to a medical issue. Then um, they, they gained a lot of ground, showed a lot of really great uh, results from their training and the United States kind of took notice, notice of that. And so they brought it over here and created the, the USA version of, of Mental Health First Aid. So it's, it's you know, they're, they're one and the same. They operate together. It's not like our version that we copied from them, but actually is associated with them as well. So this is a train the trainer type of thing, right? Yes. So uh, my training was as a as a trainer. So I certify people in in the course, um, and the idea is that once you are done, you are a as my uh, trainers refer to it as a mental health first aider. Um, so you are able to you are able to apply this process to to people, to family members, to people you work with, to you know to, to anyone a, a bystand you know someone on the street it would even apply to so can you give us a quick overview of that process with how the program works sure so it's a it's an eight-hour course and when I say eight hours it's it's eight hours of training which confuses a lot of people because you think like oh it's a nine-to-five day it's not a nine-to-five so we usually split it up into two parts because you know people really are used to kind of doing that eight-hour day and getting out right at the end so so we split it up into two days um, for the most part and uh, we focus on the, the two different days or the two sections, depending on how you do it, really focus on first on, ed- on educating the person as to what to look for. building your spidey senses, so to speak, you know, so like, okay, it seems like something's going on with this person, knowing what to look for. You know, we do review some of the different diagnoses, but the point of the training is not to be able to diagnose someone that is we, we recognize first and foremost, that is out of our hands. You're not, you're not having psychologists and psychiatrists attend this training because they've already got that pretty much down pat. So it's really about recognizing those those risks and, and what might happen. So that's the first part. And then the second part focuses on the, their actual action plan. Um, and I would encourage you to take the training to, to find out what that action plan is specifically. Uh, but it really lays out the steps from recognizing a crisis to approaching them, to how to listen to them, to how to give them feedback, and then how to connect them to the help that they need. That's great. And of course, as you outline that, I,
0: I'm thinking that there's actually quite a few similarities between formal training in uh, first aid for physical injury or ailments, as well as
1: mental health first aid. Is that is that true? I mean, do, do you see the the connections there? Absolutely, absolutely. It was actually that was kind of what they had in mind when they were when they were forming the course. You know, when you take certain versions of, of uh, medical first aid, you follow the steps, the ABCs, the airway breathing compressions or airway breathing circulation. So they said, we really wanna have this action plan that people can remember so that it's not just about waiting for real help to show up. You know, with, with regular first aid, you know, you see someone bleeding, you don't just call the ambulance and then watch them bleed hope, hopefully i would hope you would not do that um, you know you would go over and you would do what you can what you what you know some basic steps and so the the creators of this said you know we want people to approach People in a mental health crisis in the same way, not run away or back away or look the other way, which is really, you know, what we're taught to do from a young age. I'll always remember, you know, you're in the supermarket and there's someone acting differently or you know doing something out of the norm, and what does mom say? She says. You know, don't look at them, right? right. Let's right. go this way, you know. So, and I always thought, like, how how terrible is it to be the person that nobody ever looks at or smiles at? You know. So, um, and that was their their focus was to say, you know, we we should all be prepared to deal with this as just as we would with a, a medical first aid uh, kind of problem. And I think you've you've alluded to this, but the other side of that, the similarities is the differences.
0: And it sounds like you're really talking about something where they're you're you're basically trying to get someone stable so that your address they can be a, they can get their issues addressed by
1: professionals in the field absolutely so you know from the very beginning we say this is not the end you know we are not the the ultimate goal for actually getting this person help um, or providing the help at least but we can be the person to connect them uh, one you know there's a lot of research about how you know young people who have because we do the we do the the youth version of this training so there is there is a, an adult version that was actually what it what started as um, but we do a, a one that's kind of more targeted towards adolescents. So um, you know, the 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 big difference there is is that, you know, or that the main purpose there is that we are not providing the ultimate treatment, but we are connecting them to it or recognizing and and we might be that that trusted adult who who they they look to and they can they can talk to, uh, whereas, you know, they might not be as comfortable with a professional immediately or they might be terrified of treatment. You know, there's there's you know Probably the biggest goal of mental health first aid is to to try to beat this stigma that we are at constant odds with, that says that you know if if you have a mental health problem you're weak you you weren't able to beat it you know there's you know you're you're not trying it, hard enough.
0: It's it's a character flaw, not a condition that you need to look into, and I, and I always am taken by people who especially, you know, the professionals here at Kinsby's who draw the analogy. said, if somebody came in and their arm was broken, you wouldn't say, well, is it really broken or are you just, you know, is your arm weak? Is your bones? Couldn't they be a little bit stronger? And, you know, the same analogy goes to, to folks who are dealing with, uh, you know, a mental or behavioral health or an emotional crisis. Absolutely. Um, what? Speaking of that, what kind of interventions? And I, we're not, we're not, I want to make it clear to everybody listening, we're not doing the training here today. This is not what that's about. But can you give us examples of what kinds of things uh, would be interventions if someone were presented with uh, another person that was
1: uh, obviously in crisis. Sure. So, so we talk about kind of two areas. So we talk about crisis situations. So a person who's, uh, who's like talking about killing themselves, uh, a person who's having a severe panic attack. So, so we talk about how to approach those and it's always, you know, our first priority is their safety. So if, you know, if they've, you know, if they've attempted to kill themselves and they're bleeding or they've, you know they've ingested pills our first priority is their their body's safety so we're calling the ambulance Um, we're kind of providing that you know actual you know physical first aid Uh, but for for things where they're they're not at risk for you know dying or you know severe harm um, we're we're approaching them first which is really important because like we said before the you know our inclination is get out of here right, right? I right. don't want to be step a away person. I'm gonna back right. away I'm gonna pretend that I don't see it exactly um, and we do talk about your own safety you know so we all know there's you know people in various communities that you know that could be dangerous you know so it's not about you know you don't have to approach but you know being comfortable with saying like you know what I know how to do this. I'm trained. I'm I'm comfortable. I'm going to go in. I'm going to be confident. Um, I know how to open up conversation. Uh, we talk about how to listen to them. You know, which is you know a huge part, I, and that's my favorite part of the course is is the listening piece because you can use it across the board. Um, so how to listen to them, and then how to how to encourage help, and how how to kind of get connect them to help without making them feel like it's their fault, without judging them, without pushing things on them, you know, because otherwise you could damage, you know, you might be the one with a relationship, but now you've just thrown that out the window because you've made them feel crazy. You've made them feel broken. You've made them feel weak.
0: And it's so hard, isn't it, that for folks to deal um, with individuals when you you might say in your own life, well, what you seem to be triggered by or isn't that important. It, you know, don't get upset about that. It would seem to me that while that sounds like a very reasonable thing,
1: mm-hmm. probably in that situation it's pretty much on the other side of the circle from reasonable. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. We slam doors all the time with people. You know, they open up and they start talking and then we immediately get to solving their problem. You know, let me tell you what you need to do. Oh, I I went through that. Here's, here's what I did. And you just slammed the door because they finally opened up. You got to that point where they trusted you. And now they're like, "Up, oh, here we go again. You're just like everybody else who wants to tell me what I have to do to get better. You know, and and it's really difficult. So that's you know, that's tra- that training piece of we practice it. You know, it's not just about like, okay, here's the things that I want you to do, and you're like, Yeah, that sounds really great. And then you go home and you forget it. We I have a checklist in my wallet, let me get that out and that's go right. into what I'm supposed to say to you. You know, <laughs> so we practice it, we role play it. Um, in a very, you know, it's not scary role play. I know that I've taken trainings before where I'm like, Oh, I can't I don't want to <laughs> do this. You know, it's 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 much less threatening than that. But um but you actually practice it. You get you know, that kind of routine. And then we also talk about, you know, things that aren't, you know, like huge crises, you know, where a person is just, you know, they're they're having trouble sleeping or they're, you know, they're really upset about something or they're feeling depressed or anxious. Um, so how to talk to those people and they might not need, you know, they might not need to see a, a psychiatrist immediately. They might not need to be, you know, seeking like true professional help an intervention, so to speak, right. They might not need that piece, but you know, just that opening up to us and establishing that communication so that if it does become worse, you know, and that's a big piece that I want people to understand is that it's not about, you know, teaching them right now about getting to the, getting to the heart of the matter right now. Sometimes it's just planting that seed that says, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person you can trust. I'm not going to push you into talking about something you don't want to talk about and just kind of laying that groundwork what are the groups or the types of people you feel uh, would benefit the most to look into participating in in the training? Great question. So, um, So I do train a lot of professionals. So, you know, mental health workers and um, caseworkers and things like that. So it definitely helps people who have had training. So um, sometimes people come into the training as I myself, I'll admit, like when I was initially going to be trained, I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be like a review. I already kind of know this, you know, Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. So it definitely has a lot of good material for a person who's already trained. But it really is fantastic for for teachers teachers, for coaches, for bus drivers, for fam, for parents, you know, I, I, I can tell you personally, I've, I've used this as a husband. I've used this as a father. I've used it as a friend, um, probably even more than I've used it professionally, but I've absolutely used it professionally. Absolutely. So I, I think that, you know, anyone who's part of the community who wants to be, you know, who wants to kind of help us defeat this stigma and who wants to be prepared and not have to run away from these situations would be a a great audience for it
0: somebody's inspired to be part of it how would they get more information
1: there is a youth mental health first aid website um, the mental health first aid website with the youth portion uh, and you can look at the available trainings right there we offer them through kids piece uh, and, and those would also be listed on the uh, on the website as well because every time we register a course it gets put up there so you can look for trainings nearby by location by time um, so you can you can find out more information and you can definitely uh, sign up for a training right there
0: and we'll get that uh, that uh, link to the website and put that up on our blog as well so this nice. um, final question Rob mm-hmm. we We ask each of our guests to help our audience out with a a piece of advice, an idea, or a suggestion, maybe just a little inspiration to get through the day. We call it our life hack. Mm -hmm. give you an example. This is one I go back now 15 years, probably. I used to have a real problem in um, prematurely sending emails, like hitting (laughs) send. And somebody pointed out to me, said, you know, if you don't fill in the subject line until the very end... The system won't let you send the email. It'll come back and say, you didn't put a subject line. Do you want to title this something? And I started it, and it cured that problem for me. Wow. I mean, it's not, you know, a life hack might be a little grandiose to say that.
1: Right. But, but anyway, can you share your best life hack with our audience? Oh, that was a good one, though. You kind of, <laughs> now I'm like, oh, I need to do that. Um, <laughs> Well, okay, so so what I've been thinking about and, and what I really like to do is, uh, you know, there's, so there's a lot of research, if you look into it, about how many positive statements you should make versus corrective statements. So I'm talking about interacting with your children, interacting with people you work with, um, interacting with other people altogether. Uh, and the research really, you know, it kind of, it looks at like uh, you should really be saying like f- at least four positive things for every one negative thing you say and that that does not happen like you look at my children i'm like stop cut it out seriously we're doing that again right so i'm saying like hundreds of corrective statements you are getting a real deficit in the positive yes (laughs) yes so so here's here's you know something that that i could i tell people to do and something that i do myself right so if if you place you know, it can be anything It could be sticky notes, it could be objects, it could be pictures, anything. So you place things throughout your home, right? Or throughout your place of work in your classroom, wherever it is that you want to make more positive statements, right? And you know that every time you see one of those things, right? So you put a sticky note on your on your microwave, right? And I see that sticky note. And I know every time I see one of those, I need to turn to my children. And I need to find something about what they're doing right then and praise it and not just say like, Hey, you're awesome. But like, I love the way that you're playing right now, I love the way that you're sharing that kind of you know directed praise right. um, it rewires your brain and you you eventually don't need those sticky notes anymore you just start making these these positive statements and the kid starts doing things to get those positive statements instead of you know I've, I've always said the one statement you know the one saying that is as you know bears the test of time is the sque- squeaky wheel gets the grease right kids know all they have to do is you know do something they're not supposed to do and they immediately get their parents' attention, right? right I'm right. off of my cell phone, I'm off of the computer, and I'm like, "Hey, right? right?" Right. So you rewire your brain to say, "Like, okay, they're paying attention to me now when I'm, I'm doing something I'm supposed to do." Right. And they do it. They do it more, and you praise them more, and it's it's a really amazing upward swing. That is a great idea, and 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 you're right that it's it's. You could
0: see the application as you noted in terms of parenting, in terms of a situation where you're kind of in charge. But I'm thinking like if you're in the store shopping yeah. and somebody you know to say to that clerk, "Hey you've been really helpful, thanks a bunch. Yes, I can't imagine that that uh, that it wouldn't be a, a great thing for them to hear and it makes you feel better as well rather yep. than you know the alternative. yeah all right. Well, Rob Harvey, certified trainer in mental health first aid, Again, Rob, thanks for being here. It is always a pleasure to thank talk to you. Thank you so much you. for having me. And thank you for joining us and listening. We hope that you will join us again for more Conversations with Kids Peace. Take care. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions about our Conversations podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Go to www.kidspeace.org to learn more about the series and share your thoughts.